Good morning. Wow, is God good or what? Man, I, I got I to gotta give props to the worship team. They did a, an awesome job. I'm, we're, we're blessed, you guys. I'm telling you. We are so blessed. Well, um, great to be here with you this morning. My name is Kevin. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this, is, uh, this is my debut. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, you know, um, I'm speaking to family, I'm speaking to family, I'm speaking to family, I'm speaking to family, I'm speaking, we're all family, right? So, uh, we're just going to step into my living room here, I'm going to just kind of talk to you a little bit, share with you what God's put on my heart. But before I do that, I want to give honor uh, to one of our mission pastors, um, who actually has a mission right here in the States, and that's uh, Brother Sean Furlong. Would you stand just... Let him give you a applaud there. He heads up our YWAM um, in, in Colorado. So I, I want to go to that mission field too, by the way. Colorado, beautiful out there. Uh, kind of envious. But anyhow, good to have you here, brother. Appreciate you being here. If anybody has any questions about um, what he does and what kind of ministry they, they, and kind of impact they're having, um, he's going to be in the back foyer after church. So uh, be sure and stop by and say hey to him and, and talk to him a little bit. I know that um, he's got plenty of information that he could provide about that. So um, we're kind of continuing our series on Declare. And we know that Pastor Sean has covered some really dynamic points concerning Declare. Um, I think the first Sunday was uh, Declare Your Goals. Uh, second, the second Sunday was Declare the Word and Promises of God. And last Sunday was declare your breakthrough. And I think there was a lot of people that got breakthrough last week. It uh, looked pretty obvious anyway. So I'm sure there's testimonies coming out of that. Um, Today, I'm going to cover declare your miracle. And I'm kind of excited about it because I'm going to pull a story out um, from Luke. So having said that, you guys can go ahead and get ready. Turn Turn to Luke. Okay. Uh, before I get into that, though, I want Don Hessen, uh, one of our elders, to come up here. God um, spoke something into him this last week. He shared it with me through text, and um, I thought it was a great segue into um, what I'm getting ready to talk about uh, today because it is about Declare. So I'm going to let you kind of take it over there and tell him about it. Pretty exciting. Um, I was just literally shaking with this uh, earlier this morning. Um, Y'all ready to eat? Um, You know, 23rd Psalm says that the Lord prepares a table for us, and he knows how to throw down. So... um, Kevin gets to serve you the main course, but uh, I've just been blessed and honored by the Lord to um, to serve the appetizer, and we all know what the point of that is, that's to keep you at the table, because you know something better's coming. Um, now, I told the first service, uh, I, I said that a little bit differently, I said, Lord's wanting to call in an airstrike today, um, and, and, and that's a good thing. Um, Kevin's got the word of the Lord, and that is the ordinance. He has got the payload that the Lord has put on his heart. Um, 
it's my privilege and my honor to paint the target. Um, so I'm fixing to paint you. <laughs> so we've been on this, uh, this series of Declare, and last week in our cell group, Uh, We just began to talk about the meaning of that word declare. And so I began to look up the word declare in the concordance. And uh, in the Hebrew, uh, in the Old Testament, there are 20 different words that by the time they make it their way to the English language, we just say declare. And so... um, I'm not going to give you all 20. Uh, I just want to give you the one that really got a hold of me. And that is the word that is phonetically spelled is B-A-W-A-R. Uh, don't ask me to pronounce that. I pronounce it B-A-W-A-R. <laughs> but the meaning of that particular Hebrew word means to dig, as in to engrave, or to etch, or to carve. And after minutes of study, as near as I can tell, the first place that that particular word declare, meaning to engrave, or to carve, or to etch, is in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. And so I'm going to begin with uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and following. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to declare, to dig, to carve, to etch, to engrave, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowland, in the south, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you, Go and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. So if I could just go back to the lead verse there that Moses began to declare this law. The Lord declared this law back in Exodus. We're in Deuteronomy now. As Moses declared, as he came into alignment, into agreement, he began to operate in the authority of that word. And he carved his reality according to the finality of what the word of the Lord says. And so, 
as Kevin brings this message of declaring your miracle, it's what the Holy Spirit is speaking over you. Speak that out. You know, we've heard the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a lot of times when we hear that verse in the context of a sermon, it's kind of a corrective word. Check yourself, you know, repent, that kind of thing. But the same thing can be said of the Lord God. When he speaks a word, it's from his heart. And for you to declare that, then you can carve his word into your heart. He can shape your heart according to what he has for you. And you're not defined by anything else other than what he says about you. Amen. Thanks, brother. I'm about to step back and let you preach. <laughs> That's good. Praise God. Come on, give Don a hand. He's, I love his heart. I love what God brings him. He's, um, he's just a great man of God. I'm glad to... I'm just glad to be a friend of his. He's just always pouring into me as well. Um, so I, I explained to you guys to, well, before I say that, I just capture what he just said, okay? And take that with you through the rest of this service, okay? Just capture that, all right? Okay? Now, we're in Luke um, chapter 8, okay? But before I, um, I actually go there, it'll be, we'll start like at verse 40. But first, I want to I quickly say, just how honored I am, really, guys, to be able to be up here and speak. Um, yeah, the back of my jeans is, like, wiggling really fast because I'm kind of nervous. But, uh, but, but I'm honored, and I, I'm so thankful to have Pastor Sean and Lisa as our lead pastors because of the vision that they have for this church. Um, just the love of worship they have, obviously, because I'm a worship guy, but um, just also the vision and the love that they have for you guys. Um, they truly do. And, um, and so that's kind of what I want to do, too. I just want to take a little bit of what they have, share that from my perspective as well, and love on you guys a little bit this morning and encourage you, okay? So let's start in Luke um, chapter 8, verse 40, and then uh, we'll read through this, and then we'll pray. Verse 40, it starts, When Jesus returned to Galilee, the crowds were overjoyed, for they had been waiting for him to arrive. Just then, a man named Jairus, the leader of the local Jewish congregation, fell before Jesus' feet. He desperately begged him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, because she was at the point of death. Jesus started to go with him to his home to see her, but a large crowd began to surround him. In the crowd that day was a woman who suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding. Even though she had spent all that she had on healers, she was still suffering. Pressing in through the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched his garment. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Jesus suddenly stopped and said to his disciples, Someone touched me. Who is it? And while everyone was denying it, Peter pointed out, obviously it would have been Peter, (laughs) Master, everyone is touching you, trying to get close to you. The crowds are so thick we can't walk through all these people without being jostled around. But Jesus replied, yes, but 
I felt power surge through me. Someone touched me to be healed. And they received their healing. When the woman realized she couldn't hide any longer, she came and fell trembling at Jesus' feet. Before the entire crowd, she declared, I was desperate to touch you, Jesus, for I knew if I could just touch even the fringe of your robe, I would be healed. Jesus responded lovingly to her and said, Beloved daughter, your faith in me has released your healing. You may go with my peace. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for just the power of your word, God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you orchestrate things um, be what sometime, beyond what we can sometimes understand in our own human mind. So, Father, I pray, Lord, this morning as your spirit moves through this house, Lord, and it moves in between these, uh, each person that's sitting here this morning, God, that you would speak into their heart, God, and encourage them that they should declare your word, declare it, engrave it. Today is the day to declare, declare their miracle. So, Father, I pray that you would help me to not preach with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but, God, that it would be in the demonstration of the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get into that particular story about this woman and her issue of blood, I kind of wanted to do a quick summary of this chapter just so I could give you kind of perspective on what's been going on with the disciples and Jesus. It says that, you know, they continued to travel through the cities and regions of Galilee. And he had the disciples with him. Of course, there were some other people traveling with him as well um, to kind of help him with the ministry. As he was going, he was preaching and bringing the good news of God's kingdom, and he was healing people. So the crowds begin to come because word was spreading fast. Now, some of the activity that took place in this, um, there's a lot of things we could pull from this particular chapter to, you know, preach a message on. And one in particular is, is kind of the first one at the top where Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed. And so, you know, I love how that whole story, the essence of it is the power of God's word and sowing that. You know, there is power in the Lord's word, and there's going to be some kind of um, sowing or reaping that takes place because of that. And uh, I know that we've covered that before, but, in, you know, again, in Proverbs 18.21, it says the, there's life and death in the power of the tongue, right? So let's, let's just keep that in mind as we keep going forward here. So there was one day um, Jesus said to his disciples, they were kind of close to the Sea of Galilee, and he's like, hey, guys, um, let's hop in this boat and let's, let's cross over to the other side. So, you know, the disciples kind of look at each other like, okay, let's do it. So they hop in the boat, and they, get, they, they start out. And so Jesus, you know, must be really tired. Of course, he's been in a massive crowd. He decides to lay down and take a nap, and he takes a nap. I mean, he falls completely out asleep. And we've heard the story. All of a sudden, this storm comes up. And, I mean, it is a massive storm. The waves are huge. They're coming into the boat. There's lightning, there's rain, there's wind. Everything is going on. And the disciples, they're freaking out. You could just imagine. I mean, it was, it was chaos. And so one of the disciples, more than likely Peter, came to Jesus, shook him, said, Master, Master, you care not that we're going to perish? And so you can imagine Jesus standing up. You know, it's, this is just how I picture it. Jesus, you know, you know how you are when you, you fall asleep. You're just kind of, you know, really groggy, you know. And he's been in a deep sleep. So, you know, he's waking up and he's rubbing his eyes and 
He's like, what, what, what? And so they're like freaking out. They're all saying, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And so he, I can imagine him just standing up and saying, really? <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's like, peace, be still. And immediately the water calms, the sky's clear, and it's just calm. And then the disciples are, are standing there like, he can even... He can even speak to the elements and they just do what he says. And Jesus just simply says to him, where was your faith? Now, I, I got to say, this is really kind of funny because, you know, the disciples have been with Jesus for a while, right? So they know who Jesus is, right? Can I get what I'm getting here? So he says, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. You know, yeah, sure, something comes along, kind of disrupts an obstacle. And they think, you know, well, I guess we ain't going to make it to the other side because we're going to die. But Jesus is like the Son of God. If Jesus said, we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. Right? I thought that was kind of, I just always thought that was funny. You know, why would they be freaking out? But anyhow. So I digress on that. But anyhow, um, the other thing I thought about, too, is that, you know, this probably was now this is kind of a Kevinism or a first Kevin, James, whatever, you know, King James, Kevin, whatever version. But, you know, I'm thinking this could have been the enemy. You know, he was trying to create an obstacle. He was trying to actually destroy probably Jesus and the disciples before they even got over there, because you know why? He knew what was going to happen when he got over there. So let's talk about that. So he gets over there, right? And they get off the boat. And as soon as they get off the boat, this guy comes running out of these caves, just like a crazy man, and ends up being a guy that's demon-possessed. And so he confronts Jesus. And the demons inside him say, you know, why do you torment us? You know, um, don't. And then they're like, ask him, don't send us to the pit. And so Jesus asked him, you know, how, how many are... You know, what's your name? He's like, well, my name's Legion, because we're many. And so, long story short, Jesus ends up casting these demons out and, cast, and casting them into a herd of pigs. Well, the pigs go crazy, and they go running off a cliff, and they die. Well, then you've got the herdsmen who own the pigs are a little irritated about that. So they go running back to the town, and in town, they start, you know, stirring up everything and saying, hey, this crazy stuff going on out here. So all these townspeople come out, see Jesus and see what's going on. And they're frustrated. And they're just like, you know, leave. We don't want you here. And I find that there's an interesting thought there is that, you know, sometimes we can be that way with the Lord. And we may not even realize it. But just as those people, you know, sometimes when people are more afraid of what Jesus will do in their lives then what, this, what Satan's doing in the moment, they often push Jesus away. And, you know, he may leave if you ask, ask him to. But the exciting part about this particular story is that man that was delivered, he went running through the streets proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. So, again, the stories just continue to come out, come out, come out. So Jesus is like, okay, guys, looks like they don't want us here, so let's... Hop back in the boat. Let's head back over. So they all hop in the boat, and they head back over. 
And the cool thing about it is once they got to the other side, they arrived and were welcomed back by a great multitude. They were like overjoyed. It was like they were waiting for him to return, which I think is really kind of cool. So again, we kind of jump into the story now where he's approached by Jairus about his dying daughter. He decides that he's going to go with him to see his daughter and um, help her. And then we see the crowds that are crushing in on him all around. And then this woman somehow touches him. And Jesus feels it. And he's like, who touched me? And so, again, I, I think it's really funny how Peter, you never, never have to guess what he's thinking. You know, and he, again, he's like, really? I mean, look, look, Lord, look at all the people around us. I mean, he's, you know, everybody wants to, everybody's touching you. So, you know, what do you mean, who touched you? But I love, I just love how Jesus so just lovingly said, no, someone touched me for healing. And they were healed. And that turns us to this lady's story here. I got to say, you guys, I've always been fascinated by this story. For the mere reason that, yeah, we've get, we're given a little bit of information about her, but not a, all the information, especially about the last 12 years. I mean, I know in the past I've read over this scripture, and when it says 12 years, you just kind of read over it, you know. Oh, you know, it's kind of one of those deals like, oh, poor thing, 12 years, wow. You know, but when you really think about it and try to put it in perspective, and this morning... How I felt, well, this morning, actually, I felt like the Lord spoke into my heart to just share with you guys something. I didn't get my wife's permission to do this, but she's sitting up here, this beautiful bride, my wife, Tiffany. But she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease many years back. And I don't know if you guys know anything about that, what that can do to your body. Um, but she, I mean, she went through literally hell on earth with the, with that disease and what it was doing to her. And me as a husband, I felt so hopeless. You know, there was nothing that I could do to take the pain away. And that's what us men want to do. We want to fix it. You know, we want to make it right. But it, it may not have been 12 years, but it certainly for her felt like 12 years. It was awful. But we can say, praise God, the doctors have, have got her on this treatment now. And for the last few years, she's been in remission. So, yep. So, but I, I think about this woman, and I think about 12 years. Can you guys grasp that? Think about 12 years she's been dealing with this. You know, she went to every doctor, every type of healer. There was no cure to be found. You know, her finances had been depleted. She just felt hopeless. You know, what else can she do? She was isolated from her friends and family and everyone. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a minute. But can you imagine the depression and the loneliness? The pain every day? I mean, she was probably doubled over in pain. I was talking with Don earlier, and he made a great point. She probably was. Doubled over in pain and probably walking like this all the time and just in, in excruciating pain. But then maybe it could have been a year, it could have been six months, it could have been just a few weeks. 
all of a sudden, she's getting these stories of these healings, of, of this Jesus and what he's been doing in the region. And, and she keeps getting hit with these stories, you know, day after day. Oh, did you hear? So-and-so got healed of this. Did you hear? So-and-so got touched. Jesus was over there, and he told this story. It was amazing. This he just changed my life. And she begins to have this ray of hope. Wow, wait a minute. What if? What if I could get a meeting with Jesus? And then I'm sure she was thinking, hmm, how can I get a meeting with Jesus? How can I make this happen? And then she's probably like, you know, is it even possible? Is it even possible? But I believe that she, in the back of her mind, began to declare her miracle. Because of that ray of hope, it began an expectation in her. She began to try and visualize what it would be like. Can you imagine? She sees all these, and here's all these stories about people being healed. She begins to visualize the possibilities for her and how much that would change her life completely. She visualized the possibilities that believed in her heart that this could be it. This could be her miracle moment. I believe she began to declare that she would have her miracle. And you know what happens when we do that, right? When we start declaring things over our life, what's the enemy do? He rushes in as fast as he can and tries to create an obstacle. And I'm sure that's exactly what he did with her. He probably brought all of these obstacles into her mind to try and dissuade her from even going there. It's never going to happen. You're unclean. Uh, the implications of what that means in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 through 33, it explains that everyone with an issue of blood was rendered ritually unclean, and likewise anyone and anything she might touch, thus making her an exile among her own people. Can you imagine? She couldn't even be around her family. She couldn't be around friends. She couldn't be around anybody. She was completely isolated. I want you to capture just what this woman had been dealing with. She couldn't be in crowds of people. Um, if she was in crowds, she's probably, this is another obstacle. I could be recognized. How far will I have to go? I mean, how far, you know, I don't know even know for sure where Jesus is. You know, and she's like, but is he even coming back this way? And probably one of the most important factors is, well, what am I going to wear? <laughs> am I right, ladies? Huh? I could testify to that. My, my wife is like, you know, what, do these shoes match this or is this? And if I get it wrong, you know, it's typically a girlfriend will be like, oh, I don't know what you were thinking there, but then I get the brunt of it, you know. So, but on the serious note, though, with this, seriously, she was probably thinking, what will she wear? Because she couldn't keep the same clothes on. She would be recognized. So she's got to think this stuff through. She's got to try and, you know, figure out how I can make this happen. So she's declaring these things in her mind and, and trying to push past these obstacles. My question to you is, what are your obstacles? You know, what keeps you sometimes from declaring God's word over your life or declaring your miracle? You know, a lot of times we, um, well, every service, typically we have our prayer teams come forward and we just invite you guys to come up and have them pray with you and pray about things. And even in those moments, the Holy Spirit can be speaking to your heart God can be speaking to you, tugging at you, saying, hey, you know, this would be a good time, you know, for you to go up there and, 
and stand with somebody, have them pray over you, pray with you, you know, just kind of lay it out there. Um, but the, you know, the devil wants you to say, oh, no, people will be looking at me. You know, I'll be too embarrassed. That could be your obstacle. Or he could just try to commit you, oh, it's really not that bad. That's your obstacle. I can handle it on my, mo- my own. I don't need anybody. My miracle isn't that important. That's your obstacle. God's got bigger fish to fry. That's your obstacle, right? Well, another one could be shame. I mean, look at her. Her shame was, it would be a scandal to actually be in the crowd. If she was recognized, the pointing of fingers, the mocking, probably name-calling, persecution, humiliation. I mean, all kinds of things that, to just make that shame surface. I'm sure she felt ashamed. But what about you guys? Sometimes the enemy convinces us so well that our shame and everything that we've done is, is so bad that you might as well forget it. You know, declare something? Oh, please. You need to declare you're insane. You know, I mean, the enemy will say whatever he can. A lot of times it's you're hesitant to come forward to get yourself, you know, get some prayer with somebody because you're afraid people are going to look at you. Or you're afraid you're going to disappoint somebody. You know, I can remember growing up as a kid that, you know, I would feel the Lord tugging at my heartstrings in a service, and my parents were there. And if it was on a, whatever, a certain subject matter or whatever, I would restrain myself from going forward because I was afraid I'd disappoint them until I had a conversation with them about it one night. Of course, they lovingly told me, nothing. We love you. And if God's calling you, you let go, let God. So there's that, disappointing others. There's humiliation ourselves. We're, we, wanna, we don't want to suffer any kind of humiliation at all. So sometimes we find it just easier to stay hidden, don't we? Nobody has to know. God doesn't have to know. I don't have to declare anything. I just live my life and, you know, deal with it. Well, let's look at this woman here and see how, see how things worked out for her. So she's obviously started to build herself up to encourage herself. She's declaring her miracle. Now she's trying to figure out how I can make this happen, how I can make this work. So I imagine that here she is. She gets herself all dressed in something completely different to disguise herself. She begins to head out. She's, she's not sure where Jesus is. She's kind of listening to the crowd. As she's moving past the crowd, she hears people talking. Jesus is over here. Or Jesus did, just did this. Did you hear what Jesus did? He just healed somebody over here. Oh, and that's another point I wanted to make, actually. Isn't it amazing, you know, that there are certain miracles that the Bible does speak of. But you know what, folks? There was a lot of miracles that it doesn't tell us about. So I'm sure this word had spread fast. And this woman, that's one thing that really captured this woman. But here she is. She's moving through the streets. She's trying to get. So finally she gets, you know, comes around a corner and there's this huge crowd. And she's looking at this crowd, and then she starts looking around and trying to see if she can see Jesus. She can't see Jesus. So I I imagine her probably trying to find something and stepping up as high as she can to see up over the crowd to see if she could see where Jesus is. And she can see him, and he's walking with his disciples and Jairus, and as they're moving toward Jairus' house, and she's thinking, okay, okay, I got to get to him. But then the enemy comes in again and tries to give her an obstacle. Forget it. 
You can't get through this crowd. There's no way. You know, you're going to get spotted. Somebody's going to recognize you. And then you are in some serious trouble. All these things going through her mind probably. But then you know what? She pushes past that. She's declaring her miracle. She pushes through. She gets down. She begins to move with the crowd and tries to step in between people. And she's moving and she's trying to get closer and closer. And she does, begins to get closer and closer to the Lord. She's just right there, close, close to the, and she's just almost, and she's moving and the crowd's pushing her. And she's, finally she, she's, but you know what? Before all that, she's thinking, Okay. If I can't have a meeting with Jesus, if I can't talk to Jesus face to face, which is probably what was going through her mind, too. That's when she was prompted, I believe, by God. You don't have to have a front face to face meeting with him. He's the son of God. All I got to do is touch him. That's all I got to do is I got to reach out and touch him. So that's when she began to move through this crowd. And she was just, just inches away from him. Just inches away. And she continued to push and believe. And then she touched him. And boom, just like that. She was healed. Instantly. I mean, can you think of the implications of that? For 12 years. All that she had dealt with. Everything she had gone through. You know, all the torment, all the pain, the humiliation, all that gone in an instant. She was set free, not just, I believe, from her bleeding, but I believe she was set free. There was a peace that came on her that, just like it says in the Bible, it just surpassed her understanding. She was peaceful. But Jesus said, who touched me? Who was that? Who touched me? And I believe, just as it says, everybody started not, well, I didn't touch you. I mean, somebody bumped me over here, and I might have hit you a little bit. I, you know, I didn't touch you on purpose, you know. And, and so everybody starts looking around. Well, suddenly, this woman realizes, oh, I, I, I'm going to get recognized. Well, before she can do anything or run away, the crowd spreads back. They realize who she is. She's there on her own, right there in front of Jesus. And so she realizes I got to tell him. I got to tell him what he's done for me. She falls trembling at his feet. She says, she begins to declare what God had done for her. She begins to declare everything that she'd been going through and what Jesus had done for her in that moment. I think that despite everything that could have stopped her from pursuing her miracle, she declared it. I think it's interesting, too, that there was really no precedent for this. For somebody reaching out and just touching Jesus. God gave her that. I believe it. God gave it to her. You know, no one taught her to do it. Nobody commanded her to do it. She entered into the kingdom because she overcame convenience and experienced the childlike heart of adventure. To see what God would do. She entered into the kingdom. Because she overcame convenience. And experienced the childlike heart of adventure. To see what God would do. 
That's where we need to get, folks. A childlike heart of adventure. What, what will my God do for me? I'm just going to declare it. I'm going to start declaring it over my life. Our greatest breakthrough will not come out of somebody commanding us or telling us or, you know, coercing us. Our greatest breakthroughs come when we declare. I like how Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Redding, California says, nothing happens in the kingdom without a declaration. We got to declare it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. You set that aside. That's just an obstacle the enemy is trying to throw in front of you. That stuff don't matter. It doesn't matter to God. You just start declaring. And if you need to declare freedom over your life, that's your miracle. Amen? Write this down. This is good. I really, really like this right here. Declaring your miracle is expectancy and prepares the way for God's miracle working power. Declaring your miracle is expectancy and prepares the way for God's miracle working power. Are you expecting greater things in your life today? What is your miracle? What are you declaring? You know, there's that part of faith that is hope and active expectancy. Don talked a little bit about Kairos. That meaning, right, the right, critical, or opportune moment signifying it's time for action. So when the enemy tries to lie to you, tries to create an obstacle, tries to distract you from what God says he has for you, you have got to kairos it right then. Right, critical, and opportune moment signifying it's time for action. You yell in his face, I declare my miracle, Satan. Get thee behind me. And I encourage you to be joy-filled as you're looking forward to receiving a desired result from what you declare in your life. Declaring your miracle. That's what this woman had activated in her heart and mind when she began to declare and expect her miracle. You know, I was joking around a little bit about, you know, when Jesus got into the boat and how long he'd been with his disciples and the fact that he is the Son of God. But when you think about these stories and you think about where he is, I don't believe it was an accident. He's the Son of God. He knew he had a plan. He knew he was going to go across the sea. He knew he was going to have to tell the disciples, you know, chill out, you know, I'm, I'm going to get us to the other side. He knew that that demon-possessed man was being, going to be delivered. He knew he was going to have to come back. He was going to walk with Jairus to his house, to heal his daughter. But on the way, he was going to meet this woman. I believe he knew it. I believe Jesus put himself in that region at that time and at that place. What if you guys could just bow with me prayer? I'm going to have the prayer teams come forward here in a minute. We're going to sing through a song. And as we do, and as our prayer teams are up here, I want to encourage you guys. You know, this is God meeting you right here and right now. 
I've heard Pastor Sean say this on many occasions, that it's no accident that you're in where you are right now in this place at this time. What are you declaring? What are you expecting? What are you believing for? My encouragement is for you to pursue your miracle with a childlike heart of adventure. To see what your God can do for you. He loves you so much. You need to reach out. Just reach out and touch him. With that childlike, you know, when your kid comes up to you and says, hold me. That's what he wants to do. And you know, when you're declaring your miracle, it doesn't necessarily have to be for healing. You might need a miracle over your marriage. You might need a miracle over your finances, over a job situation. You might have a troubled uh, young person, a, a child, a, a son or daughter that you need prayer over, that you need to see a miracle happen in their life. What is your miracle? What is God calling you to declare in your life? As we sing through this song, I, I just I want you guys, you can stand with us too. I want us to stay, you know, with our heads bowed, kind of in an attitude of prayer. But as we sing through this song, I want to encourage you guys. Make a declaration this morning.